Our passage this morning is Revelation chapter 21 through chapter 22, verse 7. Uh, this is from the New American Standard Version, which is different from the Purack Bible, um, so read along. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among pe the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there is no longer any pain, any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. The one who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very valuable stone and a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and names were written on the gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three on the south and three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia, its length, width, and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 144 cubics by human measures, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chancellor the fourth emerald, the fifth sardoni, the sixth sardius, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth crystal phase, the eleventh jacasin, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring glory and honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have the need of light of lamp or the light of sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will, remain, they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. This is the word of God. Good morning. I'm sorry that unexpected cancer symptoms prevented us from being present with you today. I've just returned home from a week in the hospital, and I first want to say thank you to you as a church, the staff, and the outreach leaders for over 40 years of faithful friendship, prayers, and support. He rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Sabbath means cease or rest. The Sabbath, the seventh day, is entirely different from the other six days of the creation week. It has none of the repeated phrases of the other six days of creation. God set apart the seventh day for a holy purpose. And Genesis 1, 1 through 2 Three can be outlined like this. God setting the seventh day apart and its complete difference from the other six days marked the seventh day as the most important day of the creation week. This also sends a message. God wants everyone to honor him every Sabbath by ceasing or resting from working on that day. But why did God require a death penalty for the Israelites for working on the Sabbath? Is the Sabbath more than a day off? A day to honor God by going to church or a synagogue? Is it more than that? If we turn to Exodus chapter 31, verse 17, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant, it is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. Exodus 31, 12 to 17 says the Sabbath is a sign or symbol of the Israelites' eternal covenantal relationship with God. But is it also a symbol for believers in Christ? In Hebrews chapter 3, 16 and 18 to 19, 
To whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The Israelites did not enter the land God promised them because of unbelief that caused them to disobey. Thus God's rest, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to 19, appears to be a symbol of the Israelites' promised land. But the warning is also intended for people attending churches today. As we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Notice that the quotation of Genesis 2.2, the word work is now pluralized instead of being singular as in Genesis 2.2. Was this intentional, like Paul's use of seed or versus seeds in Galatians chapter 3.16? What did the author mean by this? Well, as we read on in verses 8 and 9, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Notice the rest God is talking about when he's relating to Joshua's words, that it is about a future to the writing of this letter. Most likely, it refers to the believer's eternal rest in the new heavens and new earth. And as we move on to the next verse, verse 10, the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Notice the meaning shift from entering a future rest to already experiencing God's rest. What works do believers rest from in Hebrews 4.10? Physical, mental, and emotional work? Possibly, but when you consider the whole context of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 4.10, the change from work to works in the quotation of Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, suggests a spiritual rest is intended. Now, we know in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. And I believe that the author is saying um, in Hebrews chapter 4.10, along with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that the true believer in Christ ceases or rests from working to earn his salvation. The true believer relies only on Jesus and what he did to save us. Thus, he or she ceases or rests from working for salvation. Instead, he or she rests on Christ and what he did to save us. Thus, believers experience rest for their souls now. This can result in inner peace in any situation. And thus, I believe the Sabbath is a symbol of the believer's salvation, our eternal relationship with our triune God, 
and our promised eternal rest in the new heavens and new earth. In January 2011, I experienced pain in my left hip while jogging in our subdivision. My doctor ordered an MRI and on my way to the hospital, I sat in the back seat through two hours of Manila traffic, reflecting on the new heavens and new earth in Revelation chapter 21 through 22 verse 7. And I wondered what it might be like entering heaven. And I remembered how our children entered Disneyland and pictured entering the new heavens and new earth like this. There's people you, you know that you haven't seen in years. And then I notice their eyes are all looking in one direction. And my eyes follow theirs, and there in the distance, oh, you see the thrones, and we're all on our faces, worshiping the Father and the Lamb. And we hear this heavenly chorus singing, oh, what awesome music fills our ears and our hearts with joy and awe. A little bit later, we're standing as if on a balcony overlooking a universe. And we see in the distance a little blue ball, the earth. And as our eyes get used to the darkness, we begin to see people moving on that, um, on that globe. And there, there we start to see how the believers are winning the lost. And as each new believer enters God's kingdom, there's a chorus of joy and praise and worship to the Lamb. Then my taxi arrived at, at the hospital and I, my reverie ended and I reached in my pocket to pay the driver and to arrange for my return trip. I walked in to take my test and that test revealed that I was now stage four. In 2 Kings 20, 5 through 6, God said, I will heal you. I will add 15 years to your life. Hezekiah prayed, and God granted him 15 more years in this passage. So I asked the Lord, for 15 years in 2008 with my first cancer diagnosis. I've had this cancer for 14 years now. I'm in my 15th year. The Mayo Clinic website indicated in 2011 that I could only expect to live two to four years with medical treatments when it turned stage four. We praise God for this miracle that he has granted us. My cancer now is terminal, but I am at peace. I struggle like everyone else with pain and the process of dying, but the fear and sting of death are gone from my life. I hope John's vision 
of the believer's eternal state in Revelation chapter 21, 1 through chapter 22, verse 7, helps you also find peace in your struggles. God has used it and my picture of entering heaven in that taxi ride to help give me peace and assurance of going to heaven when my days here are over. What does all this have to do with missions? We read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, For the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and adulterers and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 and 15, they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And thus, Revelation 21 through 15 says that many people will be judged according to their works at the great white throne. And anyone whose name is not found in the book of life will go into the lake of fire. We read in Galatians 2:16, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And in chapter 2, verse 21, he also writes, by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Thus, God will not accept anyone who tries to earn salvation by keeping the Old Testament law or by doing good works. We read on in chapter 10 of Romans in verses 9 and 10, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? And thus Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 15 connects the Sabbath, salvation, God's rest, and missions, and the believer's eternal life in the new heavens and new earth together. Millions will not believe in Jesus, will not be saved, and will not enter the new heavens and the new earth unless we send people to go tell the gospel to them in a way they can believe it. So I have three application challenges for you to consider. I urge you as a church to replace us by sending someone new from this congregation to an unreached people. Colleen and I served together in the Philippines for 31 years. We now have ministries mostly to missionaries and a few Filipino believers. Colleen also coaches New World Team appointees, but we're no longer winning the lost overseas. Second application challenge, who from this congregation will leave your lives here to go share the gospel among an unreached people group? Please tell a church leader if you want to do this. Application Challenge three, everyone 
With whom will you share the gospel in ways they can understand it? If you don't know how to do this, who will you ask to train you? Many will miss out on heaven if we don't go tell them the gospel. Many people here, even in the Boston area, are from unreached peoples. Finally, I want to thank again Westgate for your love and the support for over 40 years. Quoting a famous hymn, God be with you till we meet again.